The Old Testament lesson today is Psalm 131. You can find that on page 618 of your pew Bibles. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a long passage, so <laughs> just in case. And hopefully it will sound very familiar to those of you who have uh, been here and listening to sermons on Romans 12. That's what I'll be reading today. Uh, and that can be found on page 1137 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. 
be not proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Um, Yeah, this morning we mourn with those who mourn. Um, I'm sure many of you have been following the news and have seen how devastating the war in Ukraine is. Um, And of course, Tony prayed for members of our own community who are directly affected, um, Irza Bilan and Vitaly Wojtenko, Irza, who's there. Uh, So I've seen some of you interacting with her on Facebook. Um, I trust that you all have been lifting up Ukraine in prayer this week um, and will continue to do so. And also Russia, lifting them up as well, though maybe differently. Um, I was reminded this week that except for a few of the most powerful, uh, most people in wars are innocent bystanders. Um, And this war is fueled by disinformation, so maybe more so in this one than normally. As in most wars, the Russian soldiers are just barely adults. Um, Joe Kailama posted a quote uh, on Facebook this week that said, every war, no matter its cause, every war is waged against children. And because we live in a world where this is just the latest war, and there will be more, uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, because it is right to mourn this. For most of us in this room, there isn't much that we can do. Um, It's not helpful to worry ourselves into apathy or inertia. That's just another way of being overcome by evil. Instead, as our passage says, we hate what is evil and we cling to what is good. And there are a few things that we can do. Uh, to actively support those in Ukraine. Um, I already mentioned prayer. Please pray. Um, You can also give money to organizations that are providing humanitarian aid in in Ukraine. Am I off? Whoop, am I back on? Good. Uh, You can also give money to organizations that are providing humanitarian aid in Ukraine. Um, If you are friends with Irza on Facebook, uh, she posted a list of organizations to give to. Otherwise, I saw a Time magazine article that had um, 
a list. You know, some of them are the ones you expect, like UNICEF or um, Doctors Without Borders. Um, but there are lots of local organizations worth supporting as well. Um, I also read that a good thing to do is to be careful about what information you share on social media. Um, we know that one of Russia's most powerful weapons is disinformation. Um, so just be careful what you're reading and what you're passing along. Um, just make sure you're not part of the problem. <sighs> other than those things, maybe a couple of other things, that's pretty much all we can do. We're pretty helpless in the face of this war. And that is a tough place to be. Obviously, it's not as tough as being in the war, but um, two things are true, right? It's tough to be helpless in this space. And, but I think that there is one other thing that we can do in response to this. We can let this conflict increase our resolve to be a people of peace. Um, as I've read about Putin and his war, I keep thinking that if Putin had less resources, he would just be another controlling husband, another violent father. It is the same drive, just with more power. Let us be a people of peace in whatever sphere we occupy. I've also been thinking a lot about the phrase peace building. Um, Christian, a Christian understanding of peace isn't just a lack of conflict, right? Like if the war ended, that would be peace. I mean, obviously that would be a lot closer to peace than a war. Um, but a biblical vision of peace isn't just the absence of conflict, as Dr. King says, it is the presence of justice. It is the presence of flourishing for all. Shalom, the peace of God's kingdom, is peace in every direction. It's peace with one another, it's peace within ourselves, it's peace with the rest of creation, and it all flows from peace with God. Or if you want to like, approach that same thing from a different direction, Marva Dawn, um, in that book we've been quoting a bunch, um, she quotes an essay by a German theologian saying that if you want peace, you must minimize violence, need, bondage, and anxiety. Because those are the things that bring war. Violence, need, bondage, and anxiety. That's a really broad list of causes. And it means that each of you, in whatever you do with the minutes of your days, whatever your sphere, you can contribute to building peace, brick by brick. Or maybe it's better to think of it like planting a garden preparing the soil and sowing the seeds for the flourishing of all. Whatever metaphor you use, it is a thing that must be attended to, intended, planned, nurtured. It doesn't just come by taking away the bad, but by working in the good. And whatever you do to contribute to flourishing or to minimizing need, violence, bondage, and anxiety, it is all the worse. It is all the work of peace, peace building. It creates a foundation on which peace can live. You know, it seems like the destruction of a bomb comes very quickly, right? Um, and it does, right? One click of a button. 
But it's also true to say that it's generations of decision making that leads to that bomb. Right? Learn the history of Russia and you learn a history of national embarrassment. Learn the history of the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and you learn some of the seeds of this war. Or ask the question, what does it take to turn a child into Putin? What kind of family, what society? He is actually a product of a war, waged as they all are against children. One writer described the city of his childhood like this, it was a mean, hungry, impoverished place that bred mean, hungry, ferocious children. What might the world have done to build peace in him so many years ago? Putin then also pours enormous resources into lying to his people, to the near children who are his soldiers, the ones who drop the bombs. What would it have taken to build peace into their hearts and lives to such a degree that they would never even consider doing such a thing? Never needed whatever it is that they get from being soldiers. Not to mention the people who designed the bomb, who thought that a bomb was a good idea. Like there is a crisis in the Ukraine and I don't know how the Ukrainian people should respond. I wish they didn't have to make those kinds of decisions. But the project of creating peace in this world is much larger than any particular war. We may be able to do very little for the Ukraine at present, but we can build peace here in our cities, in our communities, in our families, in our own hearts. And our, actually, our hearts matter a lot to this. Like, some see it as a waste of time to look inward when there's so much to be done out there. But Thomas Merton says that if we do not attend to our own hearts, what we imagine to be peace, the thing that we will pursue will not be peace at all, but some vision of our own comfort. Like those who think that talking about racism makes racism worse rather than actually just uncovering an injustice that's already there. Like, it doesn't make racism worse, but it sure does disrupt a false peace of white people who want to be able to say, everything's okay if I feel okay. Or on the other side of that, there's a false idea of peace among progressives that believes, however quietly, that peace would come if we could just get rid of all the racists or all the conservatives or whatever group. Is that not just another form of extermination? Like, what if they had the power of Putin? As far as I can tell, there's no great practitioner of peace who has ever imagined that we can have peace out there without also having it in here. Gandhi said, if you love peace, then hate injustice, hate tyranny, hate greed, but hate these things in yourself, not in another. The Dalai Lama said, we can never obtain peace in the world if we neglect inner, our inner world and don't make peace with ourselves. World peace must develop out of inner peace. And St. Francis, while you are pro proclaiming peace with your lips, be careful to have it even more fully in your heart. 
Like we don't have to pit these two kind of worlds against each other, right? Especially because the practice, practices that make you peace-loving on the inside are the same practices that build peace in the world. The crazy thing about building peace is that it actually requires you to relinquish control. You cannot force another person to be peaceful. You can, like, lock them up, <laughs> but that's about it. You can teach and you can serve and you can woo people toward it, but as soon as you try to force or coerce it, you move away from peace. It's self-defeating. And so Paul rightly says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. The only place you can begin is with yourself. You can take pretty much any line of Romans 12, and it's a good place for us to start in building peace in and around ourselves. Love, serve, be joyful, patient, and faithful, share, practice hospitality, bless and do not curse, live in harmony, do not be proud or conceited, do what is right, do not take revenge, do not do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just about any line will do it. Recognize the different members of the body, and especially attend to the mercies of your God. Can we learn in the midst of a violent world to be people of peace? A church community is actually a perfect place to practice. Because we can, like, here, we can do it on a small scale where the stakes aren't actually that high, right? It's like a training ground, but it's only, so, it's only really that if we're committed to sticking it out. Because it's really hard work, and it's pretty easy to quit. Um, I don't know if I uh, told you this story before, but when, <laughs> but when I was... Uh, in college, I was working at a kids' camp um, on an army base, and I was riding my longboard between one building and another, and this kid rode past me on his bike. I think he was about eight. And out of nowhere, he goes, nice skateboard. And like, he was really snotty, like for no good reason. And <laughs> without like thinking about it at all, in just enough time it, as it took for our like vehicles to pass each other, I went, nice bike. Like, what does that even mean? And also, he was eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like, I really hope that I am better than that now. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but if I am, it's, it's really not by much. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> my greatest practicing ground, I think Tony kind of mentioned this earlier, has been our marriage. Um, you know, I... It used to be when we first got married that I, we would start to fight and all I could think of were swear words and leaving. That was like, I didn't do it because I know I wasn't supposed to do that. I would like silently swear at him and want to leave, but I was like, and without doing those things, I had nothing. I just wouldn't say anything because I didn't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> now, when we fight, I'll often think of something horrible to say, uh, not swear words, um, and then I'll think like, oh crap, now that I, sorry. Uh, 
I'll think, now that I thought this thing, it's for sure going to come out. Uh, and it usually does. <laughs> it's not like name-calling, usually. I'm like way more subtle than that. Um, it's like stronger language than necessary, um, or some, like, some argument that I don't actually even believe, but I think it might help me win. Uh, that's great. Um, so now, years after the bike incident, maybe I'm enough of a person of peace to hold back my venom from an eight-year-old uh, and from my husband for a moment, and then maybe to try and disguise it when it does come out, and then to say sorry later. So, like, that's improvement, I think. Sometimes, only sometimes, I can hold it back enough to listen. Right? And usually, if I can do that, the venom will dissipate. Because, like, Tony actually has something important to say. And, like, I still actually love him. Um, like, that's not nothing. It's not that great, either. <laughs> After, I think it's been now, what, like, probably 14 years since I learned that a conflict could actually resolve, um, also with Tony. Um, I've had to heal and grow in some really actually profound ways for those tiny changes to happen. And I think that work continues, but in lots of ways it's because my marriage forces it. I am committed to this thing, and so I have to work on it. And a church community can give us that. We know churches provoke a lot of conflict, right? A church community can give us that, but not if we will leave when things get uncomfortable. And not even if we will stay, but just, you know, sit across the room from the person we never want to talk to again. Just avoid the trouble. You can't always make peace with people. But as far as it depends on you, is a pretty big call. I had originally planned to talk about some of the practices um, that we can engage that will shape us in the, this direction, um, or really more accurately, I think, put us in the place for God to shape us in this direction. Um, like praying for our enemies and confess, confessing and forgiving and giving and serving and speaking truth and listen, listening carefully. Um, but I think you already know all those things. Um, so just like keep working on them. <laughs> uh, I think this is probably also a thing you know, but what I want to talk about today is that to do any of those things I think any of the things that Paul mentions in Romans 12, to allow our community to be a place where we can learn peace together, we have to cultivate a willingness to suffer. And I'm not talking about the kind of suffering that has no boundaries or that stays trapped in abusive relationships. I'm not saying that all suffering is good. It's not. Um, but there is a certain willingness to suffer that we have to develop to be able to be a people of peace. As always, our greatest example is Jesus, who suffered in life and in death, a man of sorrows well acquainted with grief. As God, Jesus could have been born in royal palaces or just you know, comfortably in the in middle class to a good Jewish family but Jesus chose poverty and exclusion for our sake. 
He did not shy away from conflict, but entered into it in every direction, really. He did not ease truth, make it softer, to make others or himself feel more comfortable. He was misunderstood by strangers and by his family. He was accused and mocked. He was abandoned by those to whom he had given the most. And then, of course, he was tortured and crucified. And the Bible says he did all this willingly. He chose suffering for the sake of peace, for the sake of forgiveness, to reconcile the world to himself. And the cross is a lot of things. One of those things is a very clear picture of the suffering required to love a sinful people. And that is the very same thing that Jesus calls us to, to love sinful people. In our uh, mini small group on forgiveness, uh, we actually like tried to practice forgiveness. Um, and someone, uh, as we were reflecting on the practice we were doing, someone said that they felt like all they had done was grieve. Um, and I thought like, yep, that's right. That's pretty much what the work of forgiveness is. One person, um, I think it was Richard Rohr, or he might have been quoting someone else. He said, forgiveness is ceasing to wish for a different past. You know, it's giving up resisting what has already happened. Accepting the harm that was done to you as it has been done to me. It is what has happened. And that kind of acceptance requires grief. It requires a willingness to enter into suffering. To stop trying to push it away or somehow like give it back in vengeance. And it is really, really painful. Um, I'm a huge proponent of restorative circles because um, I've seen in them, so restorative circles, for those of you who don't know, are just like a controlled way of having a difficult conversation. Um, we have a number of practitioners here, so if you need to have a difficult conversation, we can help you. Um, anyway, I'm a huge fan of these circles because I have seen in them, one, how we so frequently do not know how to have a good conversation, and this can provide a framework for that, but then also how a really good conversation that asks the right questions um, can make the work of forgiveness so much easier. Uh, but it is so hard to get people into the circle. Um, it can be an incredibly transformative experience, uh, but stepping into conflict willingly is just too terrifying for people. I've seen people choose to leave a church community that they love rather than have a few tough conversations or even admit that that was what they needed. Like, it's even hard to say, someone hurt my feelings. Entering into conflict requires a willingness to suffer, and it is often the only way to move forward. Um, I mean, even holding back my venom that I have been known to spew, uh, even holding back those things is a form of suffering. Right, like it's painful to not just say what you need to say right now. Um, choosing to listen well, to understand someone else's perspective rather than jumping in with your own all the time, uh, that's a form of suffering. 
It's sometimes smaller, but it is sometimes hard to resist getting away from that, right? Like how often do we say things in conversation that we wish we would have just listened? We're pretty good. I think one area where we've got this down is in our jobs. Maybe we've got it down a little too well in our jobs. Um, Our culture is all about suffering for your work, right? And many of us work in a space where we feel called. So in some ways, we're good at suffering for our calling. Like, I love preaching, I think I'm called to it, but it's not like I love it because it's easy and joyful all the time sort of thing. It's like Hemingway once said, writing is easy, you just sit at a typewriter and bleed. (laughs) 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 But he kept doing it, right? And similarly. um, But our culture gets that. Like, if I suffer for my job and I work 80 hours, people are going to pat me on my back. Um... Sometimes we're, like, too good at that. But in other areas of, our, of life, our culture is pretty much committed to being anti-suffering. And screw anyone who would make you even the least bit uncomfortable. Good vibes only, we say. I cannot tell you how much I hate that bumper sticker. I'm sorry if any of you have it. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> um, Like, we kind of live in this place that is like, cut those people off, never talk to them again. Um, And sometimes we have to do that, right? Sometimes that is like a, we have to discern these things. But I think we're a little too quick right now with everything. And so the places we volunteer and our church communities, our schools, our friends, our hospitality, our generosity, they have to be comfortable or we don't do them. But we will never learn to be people of peace if we cannot learn to suffer. We will never have a community that honors a diversity of voices, letting each member of the body play their part if we cannot abide a dissenting opinion or the anger of those we disagree with. We will never learn to be truly ourselves before God and others until we can speak up even when it's scary even when it will provoke conflict or disappointment or discomfort in other people. Like in our culture, having your feelings hurt and speaking up about it is quite dangerous. But people of God, this kind of vulnerability is what love requires. Conflict isn't a sin, it's just hard. White people, You will never be a good anti-racist until you can accept that you will make racist mistakes and people of color will call you out on them. And that will probably hurt. And it will likely be quite embarrassing. And in that moment, you will have to hold that hurt quietly and listen and deal with it later because it's not on people of color to hold it for you. We will not be good anti-racists until we can learn to suffer. The crazy thing about the peace that we seek is that it often requires really, really tough conversations. Things that don't feel peaceful at all. It often requires really tough change. And as long as we run from suffering, we will not be peacemakers. To make peace is so often to mourn. It is so often to suffer right along with Jesus. 
for the sake of the world, for the sake of shalom, and for the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus has done it. He will be right there with you. The Spirit guiding you and empowering you through it. Our ability to do this only ever comes from learning to rest in the peace that God has already given. Learning to take comfort and joy in what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. As we learn to sit in that place, we can learn that suffering can be okay. Even redemptive. I mean, we are, after all, a people of the resurrection. Jesus walked willingly to the cross and spent three days in the tomb. His victory came not by sidestepping the pain, but by going right through it. When we step into these hard places for the sake of peace, we walk in the steps of our Savior. And there is a time when the suffering will cease, when tears will be wiped away, when our weapons will be reshaped into gardening tools, when we won't train for war anymore. That great heavenly city is where we place our hope. And as citizens of that coming kingdom, we learn to rest in the peace of our God, and from that peace, we begin that work now, building peace brick by brick in our hearts and all around us. In this broken and devastating world, that work hurts. It hurts like the cross. And it is the work of God, the work of the Prince of Peace, whom we worship. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, Make us want what you want. And when there are places where we need to step into something hard, would you minister to us in it? Would you allow us to rest in your grace? Would you show us the ways that it participates in the work that you're doing in us and around us, bringing your kingdom? Lord, may we see your goodness even in the difficulty. May we even find joy in the midst of grief, in the midst of suffering. Like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Lord, may we put our hope in you, your goodness, your work. In Jesus' name, amen.